Welcome to Legends of Tabletop. I'm Eric Askew. Yes, thank you for joining us today, Eric. Now, uh, please tell us the reason why you had requested an interview with me today. Did I? Did I request one? You did. You did. And you had some. You have some pretty exciting things going on. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. You know what, Leah? Well, we've got. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a new course on. Um, how to make models ready for 3D printing to get the better to to get the best quality out of them, and I'm also going I'm getting ready to launch um, my 3D printing tabletop Patreon, uh, which is where uh, surprisingly enough, there's been a lot of push from the community for everybody to move away from Kickstarters or move primarily to Patreon versus Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get ready for that. But the big thing right now is, is that the big announcement is, is that I'm, I'm teaching again and I'm going to be teaching um, how to how to take models and make them FDM and SLA print ready, uh, doing supports, doing cut up efficiently. Um, and, and, and it's, it's kind of wild because a lot of this is um, it's experience that I've been gaining over the last uh, five or six years uh, to add to what I already know. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the time what's really weird is, is that um, uh, I was approached kind of out of the blue um, through some friends of mine over at XMD. And um, XMD is the is this online course uh, that we'll be working with. Mm -hmm. And what's so weird is that I'm really surprised at how many people wanted, one, do 3D printing but don't know how to make a model print ready. Um, in fact, I'm not calling anybody out and I'm not bashing anybody, but I've seen a couple of professionals who have sent models my way and have done things that um, make models unsafe to print because of print failure. Um, so yeah, then, and you know, little things like uh, certain types of overhangs, uh, envelopes inside of a model, which is basically like, um, imagine the space between my, my shirt and my, my sweater, my sh sweatshirt is really, really deep. That's an envelope and that can create an air bubble um, yeah. or actual bubbles or pockets inside of the model itself. And both of those things in SLA printing can make the model um, it can make the model have what's called vapor lock and that vapor lock can make the metal unstable and snap it off of the build plate uh, in FDM printing, which is the filament extrusion style printing. Really what that means is, is that you're making the model overly complex and it's going to take longer because it's not cleaned up properly. And a lot of people really don't, a lot of people that are getting into 3D printing don't have this experience because they haven't done it professionally. And I'm not trying to sound obnoxious or arrogant. I'm just saying is that they need this information. Oh, um, they, cause if, cause if it's kind of like, it's kind of like me going and working on my car after watching a YouTube video, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the car might burst into flames and then I'm going to be having to take it to the mechanic anyway. 
because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the experience. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is understandable, and and having done three D printing myself in the past, having to work with different types of models, and just understanding how additive manufacturing, the process of that works, layer upon layer, and then managing to slice that effectively and how to place it in your slicer, depending on what program you're using um, and, and what settings to use. Yeah. I mean, and you're providing a valuable service to the community. Well, that's, that's the one thing that I didn't really go into a lot of with the, um, with the course is actually the slicers. Um, I actually am using uh, Chai 2 box and hold on a second. Let me look at my, bar here chai two box and cura i'm using chai two box and cura in the course and the reason i didn't get too much into the slicers is is because the slicers are going to be printer specific Mm -hmm. um some printers like say for instance the form or even the milkshake they have their own slicing software and i really went over a lot of what's generally necessary to understand um that a lot of people don't think about it. They basically say, I'm trying to find an object here. They basically say, hey, I've got an object. I'm good to go. I've made my object. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I take that object and I'm going to throw it in my slicer and put it in my printer. And depending on how that object is is, is positioned mm-hmm. can make all the difference in the world as to its quality or um how much post-process has to go into it, or if it's even going to print successfully. Um, So that's really what I went over. Um, Like one of the things that I discussed was uh, keys. I see a lot of people who make keys that are really long and a key is not structural. Um, A key is only there for alignment. If you look at any model, if you go and buy a model, uh, from a manufacturing company, the keys are only there for alignment and the glue is what makes it structurally sound. And I've seen quite a few professionals make these keys that are a mile long. Well, if you're doing resin, resin has a property where it's going to, sh- where if that gets bumped, it's going to shear off like a piece of glass. And then you're going to be screwed because you'll have nothing to align on. And I was talking with a young guy, um, another professional he works in a different industry and he was having problems because his key tolerances, the, the distance between the, the male and the female were too mm-hmm. tight. Yeah. And I, and I said, no, 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 you want to have the female, the female is going to have hard edges mm-hmm. and the male is going to have beveled edges, beveled corners. Also the top of the key isn't going to touch only the sidewalls. So if you've got a square key, you've got four sidewalls, and then you've got beveled channels, and then the top of the key, that should never, ever touch. And then you want a small amount of tolerance so that when you put the parts together, the glue will follow the capillary action and provide what you need. And then you have, you'll hopefully have a tiny bit of wiggle room for alignment. Um, And room for the glue. And room for the glue. And, And he was like, wow, I never thought about this. And what's even to further that conversation is, is that I said, you know, if you're going to print this size and that's your key, don't shrink it. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, 
if you shrink your part, you're shrinking your tolerance, meaning that the key is going to get tighter. And yeah. I've seen more than a few people who have gone with a model that was, say, um, 150 millimeters and taking it down to 90. And now the key is so tight that it's pushing the model apart and they have to spend a lot of time with sandpaper trying to, you know, remove enough material to make them fit together. Um, and a lot of people don't really understand this because they're not, they're not thinking of this. They're thinking they're not, because this is engineering. They're thinking of everything else. They're thinking of, does it look pretty? Yeah. Do I disguise where my key is going to go? You know, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, we went over a lot of things. In fact, um, we actually, uh, one of the things I talked about and I've just remade or made an additional video for is mold jackets. We're going to be oh. 3D printing mold jackets. Oh, nice. And I, my boss, can we swear on here? Can we swear on here? Yes, so we're unrated. Okay. My boss called me a fucking genius. Because uh, <laughs> I, I managed to come up with a way to both measure the distance for the rubber and the jacket. Mm -hmm. And I should explain jackets, but I managed to measure that so we can get a discrete uh, thickness of silicone. And I also managed to create what, what we're calling uh, in-house, in we're calling touch pins. And that's really, really powerful stuff. So just, just real quick, for those of you that don't know what a mold jacket is um let's say that this is a jelly bean well a jelly bean has the core which is the jelly and then it has a candy coating and then it has a finishing shell okay a mold jacket is a little bit like that we have the model then we have a silicone skin that goes around that okay and that'll come off like a sock okay but if we can make it really really thin detail yeah, we can do more detail and the jacket will come off more easily. And the more important part is that we use significantly less product and silicone as a product. It isn't the most expensive thing that we do, but it is up there in the price uh, order. I'm going to adjust this. I think I'm <laughs> um, The jacket is usually made of fiberglass and it's hard. And what the jacket does is it, it holds the silicone in place and now we can do what's known as rotocasting and we can pour in a a film of resin and rotocast large parts and then backfill them with a polyfoam that'll expand and make the thing hard and structurally sturdy but relatively light in fact we've made pieces as big as my head or bigger than my head and the resin is only 25 millimeters thick and then the rest of it's foam which is great um but that mold jacket process it's complex it's messy it's uncomfortable to make it's a pain it's very expensive and more moreover uh on top of all of that the mold jacket is it's fiberglass um, and there's an, the acid that is used to make the fiberglass, uh, cure is very, very dangerous. You get it on your skin, you're going to get burned. You get it in your eyes, you're going to go blind. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't, we, we want to move away from it. Well, if we 3d print a mold jacket and we can use it for a hundred, 200 or 300, uh, casts castings, We've got our money's worth, not to mention that the tolerances of the jacket can be 
Uh, it can all be built in the computer and we can move things around. We can adjust things while we're doing it. And um, that makes it really, really useful. So we're, it looks like we're going to be printing. We should be, we should, it should already be printing. We're printing our first mole jacket right now. Mm -hmm. um, now I say it's our first mole jacket. Kirk's made many, 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 many mole jackets out of fiberglass. So it's not like the, it's not like the process is alien. It's just the method that we're using is brand new, but I think we're printing it in. Um, I want to say we're printing it in vinyl. Hmm. And so you've made that leap then. Yes. And I think that we're going to be able to make tighter or you tighter uh, silicone uh, jackets. So, uh, okay. So when I was learning silicone, I know that we haven't had a chance to ask questions, but let me just tell you this. When I, was, when I was working silicone, I'd make a box mold. I'd make a box out of uh, foam core and I'd fill it up with silicone and then I'd, you know, pull it out. Those molds generally, they're really hard to work with because they're not, they're not as flexible as they could be. And if you're lucky, you'll get 30 pulls out of them. A mold with a silicone jacket, a mold with a uh, mold with a mold jacket is much more flexible and you can actually get 40 to 45 pulls out of it because of its flexibility and how you can take it off. So imagine you've got a two-part mold, a beautiful two-part mold, and you can sort of lift it off like a sock, you know, and then you flip it over and lift the other part off like sock. The details will maintain uh, the tightness or, or the surface without having any parts break away. Um, no, I'm not saying that there aren't except exceptions to that, but generally speaking, because the, the 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 part that's touching the part and the body of it are more flexible, you have a better chance of it main, uh, keeping its surface without becoming breaking down and deteriorating. Because, yeah. like, let's say, for instance, a piece of the silicone pops off in the hair of this little dragon I'm holding. Well, now when you pour your next casting because that silicone's missing, you'll have a flat spot that makes no sense. Um, and I've got a couple of models by other people um, where there's a bit of silicone in the piece. Mm. So the, it was either that was one of the later pulls or, or whatever, um, but the pieces after that, you know, there's, there's gonna be no more. So yeah, it's, to me, it's very profound um, because it's the engineering side of things. Um, and it means that we can we can make more product um, available for those people that really want to get our stuff. And it's really exciting to me. So um, even though I, I'd rather just be sculpting stuff, knowing the engineering side of stuff and knowing that I can perform that task mm -hmm. uh, is is important because it, it it helps me make better models. In fact, I was looking at another friend's model, and his model looked like models that I had. It looked, it looked beautiful, but it looked like models that I had done um, years ago. And it was all full of like cavities and pockets. And I was like, oh, oh. this would take a month just to clean up. And oh. I, started pointing, I started pointing it out to him. And I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think you become a better artist when you understand the processes that are going to be used down the line. So me understanding how to print on an FDM, how to print on an SLA, how to do the molding and casting. Um, you know, it's going to be a big deal uh, or it's a big deal for my work. Um, the only thing you got to be careful of is you can't let the, you can't let those things interfere with you, you know, telling your story or getting a pose or, or having your vision in the piece. You just have to be aware that 
do you want to clean it up while you're working on it? Or do you want to clean it up at the end when it's more difficult? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so cleaning it up in the construction of it before it's fully actualized in reality would be the better idea there. So, um, but yeah, tell, tell me more about making the leap to nylon. I've, I've been kind of tempted to do so now that I have a printer that will allow me a greater range of operation. Well, the, the main reason that we want to use nylon is, is that it has a lot of strength. Uh, mm-hmm. And the jacket, the jacket is going to go in a great big machine that's going to slosh the, the mold jacket around. Um, the silicone will deflect. Um, I think the silicone will deflect as much as 80 degrees. So if you have 100 degrees, 80, 80 degrees of that will be deflected. Uh, are we talking temperature or Tem- temp- temperature temperature oh, okay celsius or fahrenheit uh fahrenheit okay and and these are loose numbers i'm not being exact because the okay. density of the silicone matters and the type of silicone you use matters but that's why you have like that's why we see more and more silicone um hot pads i've got a silicone hot pad that's not even if it's 10 millimeters thick i'd be surprised um but we were talking about uh, originally. We were talking about uh, really heavy stuff, and I'm not. Sh- I have notes about it on my desk. We were actually talking about using um, PEEK or yeah, exactly PEEK. Yeah, we were talking about using ketone. Right, and we were talking about a couple of other high temperature FDM style printing materials, and. Kirk was like, why? Let's just use nylon. It's going to be easier to work with. Uh, we need to get around 85% infill. Um, you can drill into it. It's relatively safe. It's relatively robust. And um, I think our jacket is, um, I think we're looking at our jacket being on its thinnest, about 15 millimeters thick, which is, for those of you that don't know, we're with 3D printing, we use a lot of millimeters. It's It works better on the computer. It works better on the printers. But 15 millimeters is, is just over an inch. It's like an inch and a quarter. So the, the one half of the jacket would be an inch and a quarter. So I can actually get, show you guys. I have a JPEG of one here. Um, I'm not, not going to open the file. I'm just going to speak while you do that for those of us that may be listening later on. I'm being shown an image and I'm going to click on that. Oh, look at it. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. So this is a, this was a silicone mask made by another artist. And then we had, it was 3d scanned and I made a new base for it and touched it up. And then this is the uh, mold jacket, and it has two uh, shafts at either end. And then it has a thicker bead that goes all the way around it, and that's for the gasket of the silicone. And then the silicone will fill in the cavity. You can see the cavity follows um, a discrete measurement, and then it's got ribs. So here's a rib, here's a rib, here's a rib, where it gets thicker. Those ribs are both for alignment and structural integrity of the mold itself. Um, they're not terribly large, but they're, they're double the thickness. So if the silicone is um, eight to 10 millimeters thick, then um, the rib is going to be uh, 20 to, to hopefully not 25, but somewhere, somewhere between 20 and 25. So this makes a structurally sound uh, um, 
jacket. So this is part, this is the, the back part, or this is the, this is the, this is the, the front. I like, I was just going to mention, I like the fact that the structural pegs are placed in the back, but that doesn't get the most audience. Well, the, here's, here's what, here's what these actually are. These are touch pins. Okay. And these, these are only in here during the clay process. Oh, so, okay. So what we do is this is this is one of the techniques I came up with. These pins go into the jacket and they're built in um, so that they can they're they're printed separately and then we drop them into holes in the jacket. And then you rest the model on the touch pins and you do this side you this side gets clay on it first. Mm -hmm. That's where the seam is going to go. Okay. Then you put this half of the jacket, the front half of the jacket on top and you pour in your silicone and it fills up this, this side, the, the face side. Mm -hmm. Then you take the back of the jacket off. You pull all the touch pins out okay. and you take, or yeah. And then you take the clay off and then you put the jacket back on and fill it up with silicone a second time. And that does takes care of the back of the mold so that you get a two part mold. We're going to, we're going to also have this. Um, it also has keys on the side. These are. Uh, uh, I understand wet. now. It's a. It's like a, a pin and slot almost. Yeah, yeah, and the touch the touch pins are designed to have. They have 0 0.01 millimeters tolerance, so they're only there to rest the object against. So there's a little bit of wiggle room, but they're they're only there during the claying process and the first casting. We're also going to, instead of, instead of building them into, we're going to drill holes into the jacket. So there'll be, there'll be one to two holes up here on this edge. There'll be a couple of holes here. We probably won't run holes through the key, uh, the locks, but, um, and then it'll get bolted. Um, now I talked to Kirk and I'm like, why don't we use, you know, um, the C clamps, the trigger, the trigger pump C clamps, mm -hmm. um, and he said that they have a possibility of coming off. So we're yeah. still we're still we're still trying to push these things to be easier to work with, but we're right now we're going with the most traditional format. So uh, how do you how do you deal with the issues of flash regarding well, the finished product? If the well, this this thick bead here. Mm -hmm. If you imagine that this is full of clay and flat, okay. and then you take and then you take a hoop, a hoop tool. It looks like um, it's a it's, it looks like a piece of wire stuck in a pipe, yeah. and you carve you carve a distinct hoop all the way around. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's your gasket. Okay, because one side will be. One side will be male, one side will be female, and they'll interlock. And if they're put together properly with enough tolerance, there should be minimal to no flash. Okay. And that's how uh, the silicone is done. So you, you have to be thinking through each process. So if you look, like I said, if you start from the model and move outwards, there's the model, there's the silicone, and then there's the jacket. The jacket has discrete keys built into it. Okay. Well, the silicone is going to have keying system built into it too, except it's okay. built like a um, the gasket on your water bottle. Say, for instance, there's a deep recess, and and in the case of this, it's silicone on silicone, so it's rubber on rubber. Okay. Uh, you don't have to do hard to soft like uh, like your uh, water bottle would do, but the, you're using that same thought process. Okay. Wow. And then, the, and then these are the bung holes. 
So. Okay. For uh, <laughs> the lost wax technique is where I would know that from, but uh, we could we could actually fill this up with wax and then use that model to make lost wax. But yeah, lost wax, lost wax. You you wouldn't need a jacket, and the mold would be made out of um, plaster. Yeah, plaster Right, and then the plaster has to. The plaster and the wax have to go in an oven and be brought up to temperature slowly. Mm-hmm. The wax disappears or burns off, and then you pour metal in and fill the cavity and cross your fingers that the plaster doesn't fracture during the metal, the, the injection or the, in, the implementation yeah. of the metal. So, yeah. Oh, man. And then hope that lead rod doesn't set in years down the line. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't use lead. I'd use. <laughs> use copper or press. Yes. I, I don't. Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't want to be anywhere near uh, heavy heavy metals. But mm. yeah. But we, we all know that even light metals can mess you up. You you know you they, you've heard that aluminum. Uh, every, I'm pretty sure everybody knows that aluminum oxide causes um, uh, is linked with Alzheimer's now. So yeah. At least at least that is that is some of the word on the street. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I was like, yeah. No, that, that, that's what I'm just kind of, I'm going to try to distance just a little bit and be like, word on the street is. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what other materials have you, have you used? Um, I, I've, we've done lost wax for jewelry. That was, the jewelry was all done with, Argentinian silver, which is a type of, it's a type of stainless uh, silver, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't give you people rashes. People that normally have rashes and stuff, they're allergic to. Uh, I believe there was there's copper in in sterling silver um, or something. There's there's yeah the, or nickel yeah yeah um, Argentinium or Argentinian silver um, has a different metal in it that does the same thing but doesn't give people a reaction so i've got a um we've did a couple pieces with that done resin done wax done toy making done uh, speaking of toy making you're gonna you're gonna talk some more about that class oh yeah um well you asked me what materials um i did didn't i we can revisit that later but you started talking about toy making and now now i'm i'm hyped up well, uh, one of the things that we uh, one of the things that we talked about in the class that we kind of did an overview of because I didn't go too in depth is uh, inserting joints, and I see a lot of people uh, trying to build the joints into their three D printed stuff, and I'm just sort of like, eh. you know, I personally um, because of because of the tolerances of joints and the materials used in both FDM and SLA printing, um, I. I show them how to build them and the recommended way of building them, which is to build them loose. Uh, like for instance, um, uh, pin joints, a, a joint where two parts come together and you use a, a metal pin that I'm comfortable with. But generally speaking, I want higher quality joints. So I said, you know, like this guy, go and buy your joint and his wrist. Yeah. His wrist is, is a ball as a Japanese style ball joint. You can buy kits of these and it's just it's just it's just a a a swivel 
it's just a swivel with two pins sticking out the other side. And if you know that tolerance, you build that in your arm and your model part. And then it's like, okay, get the 3d print, get the ball joint, pop it in a little bit of glue, little, little tiny bit of glue, because you don't want to get it in the joint. And now you have a much more elegantly articulated part, mm -hmm. um, which means, you know, I have to go online and shop. Uh, you can't just build it all on the computer, but I don't believe you should build it all in the computer. There are some things that somebody's already manufactured and built for you. Go find it, do that part, and build the thing you need in the computer that no one else has built before. Just like your light, I'm, just like I'm, your light stand. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Before we started this interview, kind listeners, uh, there. <laughs> there's a project that I'm trying to do a home improvement project of sorts. And uh, yeah, Eric, Eric so kindly has offered his guidance toward the completion of said project. But I just went and looked on Thingiverse and on the cover page, they've got the flexi dragons that oh, have nice. the little joints, uh, built in and that was actually one of my first prints was the skull bot there you go many years ago um those those um, things are really really cool and and uh, it's funny so, that somebody, I mean, there's something to be said with the joints included in the print well all right so let me ask you this <clears throat> wouldn't you say that the joints in those prints are very very sloppy very very loose there they could be better Yes, <laughs> and and they're very particular. I had to do a couple of reprints, yes. But so, then again, this was with my Kickstarter backer version of the M3D Mini that I right, used for right. many years. Most of the time when I'm talking about it, and not to be defensive, it's fine to build parts that you can 3D print that have joints in it. However, if you want something that has very tight, articulated movements a finished product a finished product something that you could see being made by a major toy manufacturer mm -hmm. you know you don't want a joint that when you pick up the leg for instance it's flopping off or, yeah. or or it bends on its own and doesn't stay in position when you you know do things like that um this model is one of the models i keep on my desk because it has by far the best uh examples of joints um uh, that I've ever seen. In fact, the shoulder, for instance, mm -hmm. is um, it's got uh, it's got a there's one two three four just to the just between the body and the uh, the the deltoid. There's four there's four articulations of movement in here, and that's that's really extreme to have four articulate or four movements in this tight of space for a. Uh, for, for a nine-inch figure. Yeah. You know. I um, mean, for scale, too, that's pretty damned impressive. Yeah. And, I mean, the joints are the joints are great, but I think that if I gave this to my nephew, who's three. That wouldn't work well. It would get broken. Um, some of the joints, like the knee, are very robust. All of the body joints are really good. But this one, the elbow and the wrist are really kind of delicate by comparison of everything else. So if I were making one of these, that's why I'd be like, hey, you know, go get the go get the Japanese style toy joints, the ones that they use for things like Gundams and whatnot, 
yeah. um, and for uh, dolls. I know that they have they have dolls and, and action figures and such. And rare earth magnets for your miniatures too, just to switch yeah. out weapons with ease. Well, this guy, this oh. guy's arms come off because he's got different oh, okay. types, different types of arms. Okay. Um, and these these are custom joints, but they're so well made. It's just I I love uh, well made toys, which is why I'm kind of like a little jealous teaching this class yes this kind of stuff is <laughs> I, and here's what's great you know i don't know how well you get your your viewers can see this but this is pocketed in just such a way and that's that's kind of the thing i talked about i talked about pocketing the the joint mechanism so that you know if you put it together it overlaps the joint a little bit and maybe it overlaps a little bit of the of the arm and this is all black so it's hard to see but and in essence it does obscure the way that it's put together Exactly. And, and to me, that's the difference between um, a good product and, you know, just something that's thrown together. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the, the puzzle boxes. You ever seen those where the wood is so tight that the tolerances are just mm -hmm. unreasonably snug? And the stuff can be, you know, if they're really well made, it's, it's a level of work and craftsmanship. But, you know, on that same note, something that functions really well is another thing because which comes back to the keys and if you think about the keys uh, when i was talking to that guy that i was telling you about the one that made the the keys tolerances too tight sized yeah. yeah i said the perfect example of that is the kalashnikov rifle if you know anything about guns and i'm not saying that anybody in that's watching is going to know this but they're very loosely put together those things this is one of the reasons that they're everywhere they're very loosely put together but it's loose enough to function. You could throw that thing, that thing, you could have that thing in a, in a, in a sand dune, pull it out, kick it off, slap a clip in it and, or maybe even spray it down with oil and then start, start using it. And it's going to work some equipment. And I don't have another, I don't have the other example. Some equipment though, can't do that. It, the tolerances are too tight and a grain of sand will, lock it up and gum it up and make it not function. So the situation matters when you think, talk about tolerances. Sometimes tolerances that are really elegant and snug are very pretty, but they're not going to function if you mistreat them, where the looser tolerances, um, they may be crude, but they're designed that way for the purpose, and that purpose is better for what those things are. So it's it's situational, and I love both because I understand engineering in that way, um, which is mostly cursory. Not not <laughs> I'm not building helicopters over here. No, but, no. Uh, so, but as long as long as we can build a better, let's let's say if we can build. A, that's one of the things that I loved about the GoBots versus the Transformers is that the GoBots were so better manufactured than the transformers <laughs> well it depends on what country you're in it depends on what country you're in apparently <laughs> apparently, apparently the, the japanese had much nicer transformers than we ever did but then again i think the american children and i'm speaking for myself were really really, really rough rough. with our toys yes 
I had I had one of those transformers. I think my transformer transformed into it was the green one. I think it transformed into a car and a helicopter and a <laughs> robot. And somebody got a hold of it and took it into a sandbox. Oh and never it never articulated properly ever again. And I didn't have the skills, the knowledge of the tools to take it apart and clean it. Oh man, yeah, a can of air would have helped. <laughs> And I love that thing, and I, and then and then it disappeared, and 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 I remember that thing being particularly uh, particularly tight as a to- as toys are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm I I know I was approached about doing this um, from friends of mine, but the truth is is that anybody wants to talk to me about toys. Uh-huh. props or movies yeah. or like 3d printing or making monsters or mm-hmm. i mean i i i know they say you shouldn't meet your heroes i would i would give up almost anything to hang out with adam savage for a day and talk about making stuff oh, i man. love making things but i'm i'm gonna say this i've i'm not i'm not trying to be an elitist but I like making things in the computer and then printing them out. I'm not so much, sadly, I'm not a cosplayer. I'm not going to sit down with a box of foam padding and building armor. I, I like to build it in the computer because I can do everything there and I have every tool at my disposal. And then I print it out and it's done. Um, except for, well, it's not done. It's it's printed out and it's most of the way done. It needs to be pro- finished finished primed uh painted and and assembled with straps and whatever or or make molds out of it um but all of the same skills of building something in the real world versus building something in the computer are still there you need to know your measurements you need to know clearances you need to know who's going to use it next who's gonna you know do what with it what's how what's it gonna what's its end result going to be and a lot of people a lot of people that are getting into this stuff they either don't they're not exposed to that or they don't understand that that is that is what what's going to make them successful not whether they can make a great object you can make all the great objects in the world but if you can't hand it off to somebody else yeah it's useless it it doesn't work it's like somebody showed me a nice painting on the computer it's like great i want a print or a copy of it hang it on my wall you can't do that great it's on the computer it doesn't mean anything to me i can't make a connection with it mm-hmm. cosplay is the same thing you know you know it, it, until the person is is invested mm-hmm. what's the point you know normally we're invested because we consume the media we've played the video game or watched the movie okay there's our there's our character our favorite character dress somebody's dressed up as that i need to get photographed as that or i need in some cases i need to make the costume and that's when you're that's when you're connected that's when you're involved and that's when it's like <sighs> yeah exactly you get giddy and it's yeah. Like exciting. And it's, uh, yeah um i i'm hoping that i'm going to get quite a few people that are going to come and, and learn from me because although a lot of what i'm going to be talking about is the technical side of things it's all designed to make their product something that they can hand off to somebody else Ultimately, I mean, isn't that the goal to let other people enjoy what you create? I think so. I mean, that's that's where it all started. Some some dude was in in a cave and he's like, "I'm gonna draw me a buffalo." 
<laughs> yeah. Look at my buffalo. And then he was like, Mom, look what I did. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, Good, you you drew one now. Go out and get me one because I'm hungry and I can't leave the cave. <laughs> well, well, Ma, you can look at that buffalo and imagine what I'll be bringing back. So Exactly. Yeah. I, think, I think that, you know, that's a major part of art is 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 part of art part of what we do is media it's about sharing it but more importantly it's about the the connection so yeah yeah i'm hoping that a lot of people will come and check out the course and they'll realize what i'm doing and a lot of the weird tricks and tips like my cat scan technique um Mm -hmm. will help them really understand what it is they're making that they won't understand until it's either failed on the printer or until they have to, you know, go back and fix it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. A, a failed print is not, not a welcome sight. No. And, and, and you know what? I was just talking with uh, my, my uh, business partner. Um, he apparently had gotten a print. Uh, he'd gotten a part. And he was going to print it and he started printing it and it failed. And he found out it failed because he didn't get it. He didn't get it from the original artist. I don't believe. I think he got it secondhand and the secondhand person had stretched it or had elongated it. And so the overhang was too severe and the, the it, it had come with instructions saying supportless. Uh Oh, so, oh. so he called up the original artist and started like chewing the poor guy <laughs> out. Yeah, and he's like, so and so had it last. Oh no. Oh man. But yeah, uh one of the things that I do like about the new Kira, uh 4.1, I'm using 4.1 uh with Creosome. I love the conical support option. Have you used that? I I haven't because what I was I'm trying to see if I can open it. I don't have the I don't have it in front of me. Oh. Um, I was using one of the things I was teaching was C U R. Oh, that's why. Yeah. I can't spell. Hey, Curry is good. <laughs> there could have been worse auto complete things that showed up there. I, I also have the 4.1. I have not, I have not explored that. What I was doing was I was, I was going through and I was sh- um, showing people that to optimize certain supports, mm-hmm. if you're clever enough, you can use tree supports or you can build handmade supports. Um, a lot of the handmade supports that I use are just sort of like um, when I build a model, I cut them. When I build models, I'd rather build a model that's mostly supportless or that I have custom supports on it um, because I will cut the model up so that I don't have to use supports. Mm-hmm. I know I'd rather clean up a seam because with yeah. a little bit of epoxy sculpt and some water, it's super easy to finish a seam mm-hmm. um, rather than like cleaning up supports. So the, the few times that I do use supports, most of the time I use one or I'll, I'll hand do it. So like, let's say that this, Let's say it's this shape. Uh-huh. I'll use a tree support and I'll do like this. Mm-hmm. Or actually, I might actually do, might, I'll do like this. And that's if I'm paying attention to the 
positioning of things, that may be all I need. So hopefully there won't be a lot of touch points. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at Cura's new support system because I still prefer to use something like Chai Two Boxes trees tree based supports and then bring it over to Cura. Well, they have tree supports as well. Oh, they've added cute tree supports yeah. in Cura. See, yeah. I haven't. Like I said, I don't use supports a lot. Yeah, I mean, you infected me with that desire because I've started having many, many more successful prints just by choosing to print in such a way that I don't need to use supports. Well, it, it, it's much cleaner and it's more easier to finish. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's safer. You have less failures in yes. the printing world. Well, that's that's something that people don't know. They're just like, hey, I've got. I've got an object. I'm going to print it like this. I was like, I'm looking at him. No. Like, Are you mad? Yeah. You know, make it simpler on yourself. <laughs> just, just lay it flat on the bed. If you're <laughs> going to do something like that. But I mean, yeah, it's just changing orientation and rotation so that the build lines will make it more structurally sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oh, I, this is the kind of thing that when I, I got really lucky. Um, the community that is really into printing is mostly hobbyists. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like to think of myself as, as a character who I'm not going to name. <coughs> who, I, If I named him, you'd know who it was, and then you'd make fun of me forever. But I like this character because he was like the master's master. And what he would do is he would go and make stuff and then leave it in the village for other people to find. Oh. other masters to find and then they would find it and learn tricks mm -hmm. that he was leaving behind for them to some degree my level of experience going into a hobby realm is a little bit like that i will build things like mm -hmm. this and say yeah. supportless and somebody will be like how is that supportless you've got undercuts here and overhangs here and ah, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense and then they open up the file and it's like it prints in two halves uh -huh. oh. That's it? That's all you have to do? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I know that uh, I, I'm really, you have no idea how excited I am to speak with you because not many people in my life even know what the heck I'm talking about unless I go to my local makerspace. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to have two by me. So, I mean, I have the, the Black and Beach one down at the library, and then I also have Hammer Space is my local space. And that's what I was doing earlier is I was trying to find a picture of the owner of my local makerspace with Adam at a, at a convention that he went to in Chattanooga. Uh, <laughs> See, I, 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 Adam's book, Adam's book uh, came out, and, and he was in New York. And I'm like... I wish I had a couple bucks so I could go traveling because New York is close to me. And I, we, I have a makerspace here and I've been trying to, I've done a talk with them and I, and I, I would love to get more involved, but I'm also kind of like um, the, the guy running the print shop is a really great guy. He's somebody I want to uh, associate with, but he's the kind of guy that he's much more interested in the hardware end of things and not so interested in, making the items that are going to be printed off of it. So uh, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just that everybody's, everybody's got their different orientation. I, I want to. He has that thing dialed in. 
oh he does and they have they have a bunch of printers that are i'm just sort of envious about they have one printer in particular that they just got that is um it's considered one of the fastest fdm printers it's one of those i forget what they call them where they've got they've got three three arms and the the head moves around oh, uh, yes uh, what is it a, a larger tivo tornado or whatever uh, I think it might be. It's a Delta printer, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yes. Delta. Yeah. So, so those types of printers and, and this thing he just got and he showed it to me and it's amazing. I, I really wish that they had, I wish there was more. I wish I was in an, in an area where there was significantly more need for that kind of thing. So I could communicate with more people who want to do that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because as somebody that builds the assets, um, Okay, think about it this way. You have a Honda Civic. Yes. And then you put a straight six into that Honda Civic. Oh sure, it's going to go set fast, but it's going to be out of balance. It's not really built for it, so on and so forth. I feel that a lot of what we do with 3D printing is is like that. There's not a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are really interested in 3D printers. There's a bunch of people that are interested in the making of the items that go into the 3D printers. And then there's there's a lot of disconnect, meaning that people are like, I want to print a life size horse. Okay, well, on a, on, a, on a CR10. Yeah, no, no, you've got to chop that thing up, and then you've got to slice it right. And then right. And, yeah, yeah. You put it all together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, but and then there's the guys yeah. that are like, then there's the guys that are all about the printers, and they're printing out like tessellated like horribly tessellated like like 50 polygon pikachus yeah and 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 then they print out a dozen of them (laughs) and i'm I'm just sort of like you know you guys you guys really need to start coming together and it's you know what it is it's it's almost like the game industry where you have the programmers who are like in my experience and i'm not trying to be obnoxious but in my experience the programmers who are like yes we make six figures we're kind of elite you know or we're elite we're elite we're elite and and we're not those nose-picking artists down there who are making characters and animation and are all grubby and whatever (laughs) and then the artist who's like i just want to make cool stuff and get paid to do it and this is my experience because i'm the artist so i'm not i'm not trying to pick sides i'm really not because some of my best friends are programmers but I think that it's a lot like that. I think that the people that want to print cool things like tabletop assets for gaming, yeah. they're kind of like the artist people. And then the guys that want nothing to do with them, but just get the printers to do crazy things. They're like the programmers. And it's kind of like, you guys got to come together. That's right. Because I just saw the mod for the CR10 to turn yeah. it into a CNC. Almost like a laser cutter. That's what it was. There's a laser cutter mod that you can get for your CR10. One of my friends just just had a, the most horrible experience with the laser cutter. Oh god! He bought he bought one of these Kickstarter kits, and the laser wasn't wasn't powerful enough to cut through cardboard. And as he turned it up and turned it up, the laser mechanism burned out. Oh, and he had made a whole bunch of product for people and the product was um, it was like one of those, it was those uh, what are they using that layered, that layered wood. It's not, it's not plywood, but it's that, that 
that laminated layer of wood. Mm -hmm. They were using that. And it would cut through it, but it would almost cut through it like a really random um, dot matrix, you know? So you'd go and push, go and try and pop out the parts. Shards. And and, and shards, just shards and shards. And oh. the layers would, would tear off. And it was a complete fiasco. Um, over at Holding Creations, the other company I work with, because I work with two companies uh, primarily, Holding Creations and Collapse Industries, yeah. um, he has a much more powerful laser. Now, he burned his laser out as well recently, but he's putting in thousands of hours a month. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's going to get a new laser. Even he said to me, he's like, you need to have a laser of this caliber, and then you need to calibrate your speed to make sure that it's cutting through. Um I've, I've seen some really nice stuff done with it, but I'm not interested. And I'm not interested only because I really think that it's going, to some degree, I think it's going backwards from what you can do with 3D printing. Yeah, because I mean, just like that project that I came to you with when we first started talking, um, earlier today uh, I at first I thought, you know, well, I guess I could take some take some plastic down there and and have them cut through like the uh like the cardboard type of plastic yeah signs and stuff i was thinking like well maybe i can do that and just do it that uh, way you know what that's, you know what that stuff's called it's called coral okay it, it, it is it, okay. it, 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 i have a friend that works in science anyway go ahead right, that's okay i i thought about doing it with that and just just hot gluing it together and then i'm thinking to myself no that's that's gonna the first strong wind that comes by it's going to fall apart so and then you're and then your homeowners is homeowner is uh then your homeowners association is going to be all over you and you're going to be miserable and yes well that's what they get for taking away my damned light so. i I, we shouldn't talk about that because you're gonna make me angry. Um, anyway, anyway, no, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that in a lot of ways, um, because I you when I think about when I think about the laser cut stuff, I think about the old style um, dinosaurs that I would get at the hobby shop, and you'd pop out all the ribs and then you put them together, and, and that's and it's. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Conventional and cardboard. Yeah, and it's yeah. but it's it's beautiful and it's great. But then I think, okay, I went to art school, and when I started art school, we built our whole like whole portion of our foundation semester was building things out of cut cardboard, and that's great for a a mock up or even mm -hmm. a prototype. Yeah. But if you're going to use it as an installation, or if you're going to be seriously playing with it. Needs to be sturdier. Uh, yeah, and the truth is, is that there are things that you can do with it that are amazing. I've seen some extraordinary things done with it, but I feel that it's really backwards because, as somebody that has gone into full three D sculpting and designing and thinking about all this, three D printing is what's going to move forward. Three D printing is what's going bringing about the the what's what some of the futurists are calling the third industrial revolution yeah. or the third industrial age 3d printing is what's going to go to the moon and print buildings with uh moon matrix yeah not laser cutting i think that laser cutting which is i think laser cutting might actually be an older technology now that i think about it 
um, I think it's I think it's really taking a step back. I, I, think that- I remember seeing examples of laser cutting uh, in the early 80s at the VA near San Francisco. And the optometrist pulled me aside and was like, hey, you want to play with the laser and some some uh, what's it carbon paper? And and so we did that. And, and it was pretty cool. But but I, it's had its time. And I, you're right. I, I, I think it is. I, I however, I, I, I think that there's a lot of people though that really are going to keep pushing with it because in at least in tabletop gaming, there's a lot of there's a lot of people using it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't, I just don't appreciate it in the same way that some of these people do because of my experiences. I want to move forward. I don't want to go to an older technology to work on a new project because, and I'm not saying. I'm not saying that again, I'm not trying to be elitist. I mean, if you say, Hey, we need to drill a hole. I'm going to go get a drill. I'm not going to get a hand crank. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to get the job done. I want to make, I want to make things of a specific context or articulation or detail level. Um, I think that lasers are cool, but I also think it's, I think it's a step backwards. And I've seen some nice things done with them. I've seen some like, things that I'm like a little jealous of. But I think that because you, you can't do, you really can't do bevels easily. You really can't do a lot of other things easily. It's very much uh, step form or stacking forms. Um, there's there's really particular. Where you have really, to cut out the layer and then put the layer on top of. Right. It's almost like here's the here's the side of the building, and then okay, now we got to put the window frame on, and then okay, do we, if we want bricks, we have to put on each brick at a time. You know, it's not all built in one matrix or one object that you yeah. know, print it out and plop it on. Um, I think that it's I think one of its one of its real upticks that people are probably really excited about. It in some ways I think it might be cheaper if if you're looking at material costs, it may be cheaper. Sure. Period. It may also be faster because you're really only working in X and Y. You're not having to deal with any Z, but you have to print out all, but you have then, then you have to figure the man hours. I have to punch out all the parts and glue it all together. Whereas if, if you make one of my things for tabletop, once it's printed, it's like a couple of pins, slap it on. Do I need to sand it? Or can I hit it with a sponge and then go, you know? Uh, and I'd rather, I'd rather do that. I'd rather a couple of alignment pins, a, a touch of glue, maybe a little touch of sanding, sponge, sponge some colors on it and put it on the table. Um, I just don't want people thinking that I'm being negative because the truth is, is that you should always use the best tool for the job and what works for you is what works for you. I'm just saying what works for me is I want 3d printing. I want advanced, fun, crazy things Um, like trees. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could do a tree with laser cutting, but you can be like, you're be yeah, it's gonna look like one of the. It's gonna look like one of the dinosaurs. It's like I gotta put this piece in to put this piece in to put that branch. Yeah, it's like to put that branch on, and then that branch looks like rib cages. It's like you and your laser. Why does everything have to stink like burnt wood? <laughs> mm. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Don't cough now. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But, yes. Uh, Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you today, Eric? Um, And what should should we all be aware of? 
I, 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 I'm going to tell you what you guys should be aware of. Um, if you want to come and check out XMD, go to XMD, look up XMD. You can check out the, um, the course. I believe the title of the course, which I came up with was, I'm pretty sure it's moving between dimensions. Yes. Um, There's a link in the description of this video on YouTube right now. Okay. So there, there is that. On the other side of things, um, Worlds Overrun Tabletop Gaming is going to have a Patreon, which I am I need to launch on the 5th. And we're going to have a lot of neat stuff. Um, I've got a writer working with us. We're going to be producing a book right now. Its working title is Agents of the Ascension for five for five e yay i can't i can't talk anymore about that because we're going to be doing characters and and mm -hmm. and game stuff uh, oh, but cool. the, the, so is it going to be pre-gen i i don't want to i don't i can't, I, can't, I can't confirm or deny what but but i will i will say this the the way that we're doing it is is not this first month but maybe two months down the road we're, we're working towards it maybe oh. a month or two down the road Mm-hmm. What it is is that the the characters you can purchase the characters and print them out, but you can also print it pr purchase the story, and the story comes in two parts. It comes in a hold on a second. Each each packet is this is the intro with all the stats that you need to know, and you can use that intro to create your own story based on the new world that we're releasing, or you can get the both parts, which is here's the intro, and then here's the entire story campaign for your people oh, to play with that's cool so you can actually you can actually use it in multiple ways uh, my writer has written uh mr miller has written professionally for comic books and uh, and been paid for it he's written for other things too but i don't remember everything he is probably one of the most gifted DD &D storytellers and he is he is really happy to be working with me. We're, we're still trying to figure out how to monetize his stuff. That's why it's going to take us some months to get everything ready to go. But, but, mm -hmm. this is going to change how people see Dungeons and Dragons. Awesome. <laughs> and it's going to, and all the characters, almost, almost all the characters, not every single one of them, almost all the characters will be playable but they will be put out as npcs or as or as characters that you fight against oh wow so if you say to me she's like i like this one mm -hmm. who's this thing yeah can i play it there's going to be a character sheet for that oh cool so you could say i want that character well you take that character and then you you, you set it up as you'd set up your own character sheet where it's got okay i'm going to edit these stats but these are the limitations of this being, and then then these are the benefits of this being. And how do I get these things? You can you can you can change it all up for yourself. But the character itself, the core character, will be available as a playable character. Awesome. Now with the X, uh, what is it? XMD. XMD is the is the is the online school that I'm associated with, and I'm teaching my first course, which is all about making your models print ready and and trying to make them as close to bulletproof as you can get them you know making them so that that, that you will be able to print without having significant headaches yes. um so if you're a a novice or an intermediate and in some cases even an expert it's going to be worth your time and aggravation to to take the course 
Excellent. So when does this start? Uh, I think it starts, don't quote me on this. I think it starts midway through next month. I could be grossly mistaken because the date got changed on me. Well, I, I haven't looked at it. I haven't looked at it in a bit. I'm trying to see if I can open it real fast. Okay. Um, the date was changed on me, and I'm pretty sure it was pushed out. So it's it sinks as late as the 15th. Uh, it's, it's, it's sometime next month. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's sometime next month. But people should be, if somebody's interested in it, they should sign up within, a, you know, um, it, I think it's a, I think it's a six-week course. But they should start looking to sign up for it within the next three weeks. Cool. Um, I know that we've got, um, I know that I've got, one person buying just the video content. And then I think I've got, um, I'm pretty sure I've got five people who are going to take the actual course where they'll watch the video content and then meet with me um, in a group, uh, I think once or twice a week. Uh, I think it's once a week for updates, notes, and homework stuff, um, which is why the price is what it is. Because there's it's, it's my time that I'm putting yes. into not just the material, but putting into the students, answering the specific questions. How do you do the thing that you did? How, why are the tools that you made all um, standardized? That kind of thing. Um, these are the standardized tools that we use, and these are the reasons we use it. You know, and, and filling out that stuff that um, somebody's going to have an obscure question like that, that that didn't cover in the video. Um, that's what the one-on-one time is for and, and show me examples of, oh, hey, why wouldn't you cut off every finger? Well, how big is your, how big is your model going to be? Do you really want the poor guy having to glue each finger on, yeah. you know, at, at nine inches, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So X, XMD, there's a bunch of other courses. I work with a bunch of other professionals, uh, all of the people teaching just, just so you know, and I didn't think of saying this are uh, leads for the companies they're associated with. Uh, I happen to be the lead over at Collapse Industries, but I also have my own brand and business. Um, the guy, I think uh, Ashley is teaching uh, hair for games. He's the lead. Uh, uh, I think the studio he's at is in Montreal. So all the guys are leads, every, or guys. And, and there's, a, there's a young woman who, I say young, she's, she's younger than me, but she's, she's an adult. There's a woman who's also going to be teaching um, at some point. She's going to be teaching more of the hardware of 3D printers because uh, she works at a major shoe company, which I could name. I can see the shoe in my head, but I don't remember the name of it. She works at a shoe company, and she she helps with uh, maintenance and uh, 3D printers for the sh- manufacturer and design of shoes. Ah. Like like sneakers, like like shoes that you would recognize if I could remember the name. Of well, it. you know what? We're we're going to find this out in a very brief moment. As soon as I pull up the right tab, she may not be listed. She may not be listed yet. Oh, okay. Let's see. Uh, aha! New tab. There we go. New courses at XMD. Let's see. Character creation for collectibles. With Spicer Mink Leroy. Hey. Uh, sculpting collectibles in ZBrush. And then we've got AAA Salon. Game hair creation. Yes. Yep, that's Ashley. 
Yeah. XMD Academy, Becoming Unreal from Concept to Playable. And I take it that is with the Unreal Engine. Yes. All right. 3D VFX rendering, mastering, on demand only with Gary Lewis or Jerry. Gary or Jerry? I'm pretty sure it's Gary. Okay. Okay. Gary Lewis, and that is choosing how and what to render is hard. And wonder that all the render settings and 3D applications can be a huge undertaking. And on top of that, you need to understand what all the settings mean and how to change them for different rendering situations. Yes, that's that's kind of like 3D printing in general, just basics for me i was i was uh over overcome for the first six months or so and then there you are moving between dimensions toy manufacturing 3d printing pipeline with eric Eskew, going over how to prepare models for fdm and sla printers now i see the one that you're holding there it's the wonderful head that's that's being held by my boss, and that is um, that was a commission. That's a baby dragon. It is the single largest print we have done to date. It is roughly three and a half feet long. Uh, it was ordered by a famous painter. His name is um, I refer to him as Uncle Rick. Uh, he's a friend of mine. His name is Rick Cantu. And if you guys want to see some wicked cool painted statues from monsters and stuff he's painted simon lee he's painted i'm pretty sure he's painted the shiplet brothers at one time or another he's painted all sorts of cool things and he's an absolute god with an airbrush i love the guy he commissioned me to make this baby dragon and i cannot wait to see it painted and and fully assembled because then then i can put it up on my art station and say i made this (laughs) yes but he was pretty excited to to see it coming to fruition. And he's like, how big can we make it? I'm like, as big as you want. How much money you got? <laughs> uh, oh, man. And, so and, that, that definitely does fall into the Venn diagram of good good and fast and, well, I, sense, determines the other two. I, I'm going to say this. The... I know I I don't want I don't know how much more time we have, but let me just let me just say this. That's it. I I love to make new and exciting things. I I wish I could go back and make some minor changes to this dragon, but I do love it. This dragon, in all honesty, was just about the most perfect job because it was. I have some money. Make me a thing. And then I'm going to leave you alone to make it. And I made it, I made the baby dragon in about a week and a half. I showed it to him at every major stage. So block out uh, uh, primary structures and then finish. Um, I showed it to him at every stage. And at every stage, he was like, can we make this minor change here? Can we do this thing there? Can we do whatever? And he wasn't, um, he, he's, he's a friend. So he's probably one of the easiest people to work for in the sense that he's a friend. I want to say this, and this is not, I'm not trying to get into a rant. I love working with Rick, but I have had to fire in my career. I've had to fire two clients. Now I've had a couple of people who are like, you can fire a client. Well, you can walk away from a job or you can. You can. Yeah. And I I fire them. I'm like, I'm firing you. What? How can you fire me? Well, because you're a pain. 
Yes. I wish more artists would stand up for themselves as creators and designers and makers of things and would not tolerate bad attitudes, unprofessionalism, micromanaging, or, 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 or difficulty with pay. I wish more artists had the, I have no nice way of saying this, but the stone. Well, have that. There's there's a point where it's like, okay, I've got to make a living. I need, I need what this can bring in for me. I, I, part of me, part of me, all of me understands that, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, if, artists would be less tolerant of bad behavior from clients. Um, Clients might be a little less difficult. It's, there's two things I can't tolerate because it undermines my ability to make a thing. Micromanaging and general unprofessional, ugly attitudes. Um, the, the first client that I fired, every time I was trying to show them something to check off, all they could talk about was the things they hadn't done yet. And I said, that's not what we're talking about today. They didn't get it. They didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to focus on why haven't you taken care of this? Because this is a, because building a thing as an artist, anything is a process. You, you go through a process. Um, and this individual was, not only did they think who the hell they were, they were unreasonable at the conversation that I needed to have to produce their work. And I was like, here's your files. I don't want your money. I don't want to talk to you. Go away. You're not worth my time. Yeah. Now, I didn't eat that week, but I was also not willing to deal with the heartache of constantly being um, undermined. I'm a human being. I have feelings. I have very strong feelings. Um, I do not like being bullied when I'm trying to get a job done for you. If you can't respect me or if you can't talk to me on my level, um, I can't work with you because you're an unreasonable human being. That's, That's what I'm saying. And you have to have, you have to, as much as, I don't have as many resources as I would like. The resources I do have are not necessarily financial. So, and I take a lot in the neck. I take an exceptional amount of stuff in the neck because there are people that put demands on you and you have to be willing to step up and deal with those. But you also need to know very clearly who you are as a creator and be capable and willing to shut down and walk away from the people that are not worth your time. I would still work with that guy if the money was unreasonably good, but the money was just money. And I can always find somebody else to work with. And that's what I want. I want somebody I can work with. I want somebody who's got some give and take, who's reasonable, who lets me have some of my own creative freedoms. When I created the baby dragon, I had all the creative freedoms in the world. But I also knew that if I turned over a pile of garbage to Rick, not only would I lose a client, I'd lose a friend. Yeah. And I've done plenty of work with him. I've, did, I've done a couple of pieces that are 
one-offs from things like um, paintings, like like serious paintings. You know, I can never show that stuff, but I get to work on it. Yeah. So, so that's rewarding in and of itself. Um, so you you can't as as an artist, the artist can't be unreasonable either. You just have to be you have to be capable of knowing when it is to pull the trigger on saying you're a hassle and you're hurting me as a person. I'm not working with you. Okay. Well, I'm going to take this moment. <laughs> Sorry. Notice that I, I'm, I'm not pulling any triggers at all. I, I just wanted to let you know that I am extremely thankful for the time that you have taken out of your day to speak with me and all of us here at Legends of Tabletop. And thank you so very much, Eric, for your time. And as with everyone, continue being awesome and have a fantastic day.